0: So the year of 2020, 2020, I just, I love that. The, the year of seeing clearly, literally, 2020 vision, that's what we desire. We just want to see clearly here what the Lord has for us here. That's not a, no, that's not a trying to be, woo, let's be cool in 20. No, I'm just, literally, it's neat. It's 2020. We just, we just desire to see the Lord here. And I love, um... You know, New Year's times, I love the fact that these are times where we often get to reflect, refocus, and remind ourselves of the goodness of God. And our account here today in John 21, I think really helps us in that here today. I believe it's a good one for us to really start our new year with. Because oftentimes, as we reflect on that past year, we can easily get very burdened down. Uh, we get very... Let me just move this slide here to get back to where we need to be. Okay. We can get very burdened down by past failures, shortcomings, by unmet expectations. My wife reminds me of all of mine all the time, but um, no, she doesn't do that. She's awesome. I love you, baby. It's all good. Um, but, you know, when we reflect on the past year, we move into New Year, we oftentimes use that time to reflect on the past year. And oftentimes, it can be very Hard and difficult as we look at some of the things that have maybe transpired that haven't been very great And sometimes we can find ourselves limping, crawling into the new year Just looking for some kind of hope But I, I love the fact that the new year really does become a time where we get to, in a sense, reset It's like a, a fresh start for us And that's exactly what we have in God He's a God that loves to give people a fresh start, new hope. And that's what we see as we wrap up our study in the Gospel of John. Because it's interesting as we ended John chapter 20 a few weeks ago, just before Christmas time... As we wrapped up John 20, it seemed like John was bringing everything to that kind of culmination and climax and just say, this is it, we're ready to end the book. We've we've dealt with the resurrection of Jesus, the life we have in him, and he's ended now with that theme of the whole book, which is found there in John 20, verse verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the, is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So it seems like John's ready just to wrap it up right there, guys. It's all about Jesus. By believing in him that he is the Christ, the Son of God, Man, by believing in him you may have life in his name. And it seems like that's a fitting ending right there. But then we have chapter 21, where John seems to throw in another edition, a, another story, you would say, that seems almost out of place, but I'm glad it's there. Because for us it becomes that great reminder and encouragement that God's not done with any of us. God's not done with any of us. No matter what you may have experienced this past year, no matter what kind of, uh, uh, of, uh, of failure, shortcomings, unmet expectations you might have had, God's not writing you off, dismissing you. He's not done with you. God has plans for you. And God desires to continue to work in you and through you. And we serve a God not just of second, third chances, but infinite chances. And that's what we see here in chapter 21. There's a reset that's taking place in, in essence here with Peter specifically, but a word of encouragement for all of his disciples and for all of us here, because no matter what sort of detours or bumps along the way that you may have experienced, God is seeking to bring us back into, into fellowship and harmony with him. And this chapter here illustrates that so wonderfully for us all right let's pray lord we just thank you god that we get to look into your word your good and perfect word and lord as we go through this chapter lord i know that there's a a number of great truths and applications for our lives and i pray that you give us ears to hear a heart to be open to receive your word and not just to hear it but to put it into practice and allowing it to change our lives as we come into closer contact with you here today, Jesus. So we ask this in your name, amen. So here's what we want to look at as we go through this chapter today. We're going to see Jesus reappears to the disciples and then Jesus refreshes the disciples and then Jesus reinstates Peter and Jesus refocuses Peter. Those are the points that we're going to be drawing out from this chapter here today. But read with me here. In verse 1, as we look at this first point, Jesus reappearing to the disciples. And it says there, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Now, this is some time, a few days now, after Jesus has already appeared to his disciples. He's been resurrected. He's he's had a couple of different encounters with his disciples. But now at this point, a few days have passed, and the disciples are all looking at their situation, saying, Let's go to Galilee. Now that wasn't a, a wrong thing, a bad thing. First of all, you remember what's going on in Jerusalem. And how the disciples, after the crucifixion of Jesus and resurrection, they're all hiding out in in a locked room for fear of the Jews. They're starting to see kind of this animosity being ramped up towards Jesus and also to those that are followers of Jesus. So the disciples are living in a little bit of fear as to what others might do. They've crucified their Savior, their Lord, the one that they've been following. What's going to happen to them now? So they decide to get up to Galilee. And this is home turf for them. No doubt they're thinking there's a little bit more safety and security there for us in Galilee. But Jesus has also told them to go to Galilee and wait for him there at the mountain. Matthew chapter 28 verse 16 tells us that, that Jesus has already given them instruction prior to go to Galilee and wait for him there on on the mountain. But what we see happening here is that the disciples now, they return to Galilee and they get focused on some familiar things. What do they decide to do? Well, let's not go wait on the mountain. Let's go and do some fishing. And like I say, that was very familiar territory to many of the disciples. Many of the disciples were fishermen, seven of them. Jesus had called them to leave that, to say, I'm going to make you fishers of men now. And so many of the disciples had left that occupation and said that when Jesus called them, they left their nets and everything, and they just abandoned all to go follow Jesus. But now we see the disciples, they're getting settled back into some comfortable territory perhaps suddenly back into some complacency thinking well all right it's been great been following jesus now he's resurrected we don't know if he's going to be back again let's get back to fishing and you see the enemy has a way of really luring us back into former things of our lives you think about the things that you've left behind and there's been a time where many of those things, you're very grateful that you've left them behind. But the enemy would love to come into your life and speak into your mind and make you think, those things weren't so bad. In fact, those things were really quite a blessing. And desires to draw you back into the former things that end up distracting us from the greater things that Jesus has for us. Maybe this past year you've begun to get tripped up by former things. Maybe you've begun to look at those things a little bit more Fondly than you should In fact it tells us in Ephesians 4.22 That we're to put off Concerning your former conduct The old man which grows corrupt According to the deceitful lust Put off your former conduct Your former ways The former things That were apart from Christ We're to put off Not having anything to do with them Any longer But so often the enemy is right there drawing us back into those things And we can easily deceive ourselves And think Oh those things were really Not that bad those former things, that old girlfriend or that old boyfriend that's, you know, Facebooking us now and messaging us there and, oh, they're not that bad, or that old job, boy, I miss that old job, and and we can begin to get lured back into former things and begin to think of them a little bit more nicer than they actually were. Think about the Israelites as are you know, escaping out of Egypt in in the wilderness for just a short time, they start looking back on their days in Egypt going, why did you bring us out here? Why did you cause us to leave all the wondrous things, the delicacies we enjoyed in Egypt? And you're like, are you crazy? You were in bondage and in slavery there, having to bake bricks in the burning hot sun of the day. I mean, that was brutal times. And yet they're beginning to look more fondly on those things. And we fail to realize Man, the reason I left that job was because I was miserable. The reason I broke up with that person was because they made my life a living hell. I, I don't want anything to do with them. And yet, now we begin to look more fondly on those things because the enemy starts to twist and, and reshape what those things were actually like. And the disciples are moving back now to things that, whether it's, it, it, it's walking in disobedience or they're just beginning to, you know, just do what comes naturally to their flesh... What's happening is that they're finding this to be very empty, very fruitless. And it's oftentimes what we're going to encounter when we begin to move back towards former things, thinking that they were really grand and great. Why did I ever leave in the first place? We're going to find that, man, it leaves us empty and fruitless if it's not of the Lord. There you go. i just a little wake up there for you. All right. A little power surge. Some of you needed that today here. Okay. All right. You okay over there? You okay. Any prayer? All right. Okay. So here's the thing, guys, is that oftentimes, like I say, those things are gonna leave us very empty. It's gonna come to nothing unless we're following what the Lord has for us here. The disciples got back kind of off track from what the Lord had for them and they're toiling all night. Finding nothing good from it. But notice here, when we desire to bring the Lord into things, things quickly begin to change. And that's exactly what the Lord is doing here, is is he's desiring to uh, come back to the disciples here and and, and bring himself into the picture and to change what's really ultimately going on. Look at verse 4 here. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So first of all, Jesus comes to where the disciples are. They may not be where he'd asked them to be, but he comes to where they are. Because Jesus desires for us to be in fellowship and relationship with us. And again, maybe, maybe we've gotten away from that this past year. Maybe we've, we've missed out on just really enjoying that intimacy and fellowship and relationship with the Lord. But understand that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've got, Jesus desires to be with you. Jesus desires to be in relationship with you. And he comes to the disciples here now. When morning had come, it's always an opportunity for the dawning of a new day when we bring Jesus into the picture. And and yet the disciples aren't recognizing him. Whether that's because there's, you know, mist coming up from the lake and they're not able to see Jesus clearly on the shore. Maybe they're a great distance away. Maybe they has been too occupied with their stuff. And it's clouded them out from seeing Jesus more clearly Do we ever find ourselves in that situation where we've gotten so focused on our stuff That we just kind of blocked Jesus out Instead of saying, Jesus, I want to be right where you are I want to be right where I can be carrying out your will and, and your work and your purposes So whatever the reason, they're not recognizing Jesus Then Jesus says to them in verse 5 Children, have you any food? And they answered him, no now, I love that, because Jesus doesn't come down on them. Hey, guys, why are you out on the boat fishing? I didn't tell you to do that. He doesn't come. He calls them children. That's what he's called each and every one of us. And, and what he's invited us into enjoys his relationship with God as we're children of the, of the Heavenly Father. What a sweet privilege that is to become children of God. That's the great love that he has for us. How great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should become children of God. And that is what we are, it tells us in 1 John chapter 3. It's amazing to be children of God. So he calls out to them, children, have you any food? Now, these disciples, they may have been operating in the flesh a little bit. They may have not been following closely with what the Lord had for them. But at least they're being honest. Because here's an opportunity for them to say, have you any food? Well, Jesus, well, you should have seen the one that got away. Right? Everybody's got a good fishing tale where they're like, oh man, you should have seen the one that got away, man. I may have come home empty-handed, but boy, I tell you, there, there were a few on the, on the hook that I had, but uh, didn't quite land them. Right, Joel? You know what that's all about. So, But here they're being honest. They're like, nope, we got nothing. We got nothing. And so he says to them, look at this in verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast... And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So, at this point, all the disciples are hearing is this stranger on the shore calling out to them, hey guys, got anything? Nope. Hey, why don't you try putting your net on the right side of the boat? I mean, remember everybody, these are experienced fishermen who have spent hours on this very lake. Who knows what it takes to fish on this lake. And they're hearing this stranger say, Hey, guys, have you tried putting it on the other side? I mean, they're probably like, what? Are you insane? What kind of logic? What kind of advice is that? Do you think that the right side is going to make a difference? The same fish are under the boat, whether it's the left side or the right side of the, of the boat, what difference is that going to make? But what do they do? I mean, they're just, they're kind of desperate at this point, And they do it. And they do it, and they reap a great reward. Have you ever had the Lord ask you something maybe he's called you to do something that you're sitting there thinking are you crazy you want me to do that you want me to talk to that person you want me to go there you want me to do this what are you kidding me I can't do that I don't I don't want to do that Lord is that and sometimes we begin to have that dialogue with ourselves like is that is that the Lord that, that seems so weird that must be me that just must be the Thai food I ate last night that's got to be what it is not sitting well with me uh, that can't be the Lord no way And and we oftentimes begin to question and and doubt. But let me just say, there's a great blessing when we take that step of faith and we say, Lord, I don't really know if this is of you, but I have a a, a, kind of that prompting in my heart to do this, and Lord, I'm going to act on that. I'm going to trust that's of you. You see, oftentimes we miss out on what the Lord has for us because we fail to take that step of faith. These disciples could have said, pfft. I'm not going to listen to this stranger on this calling out to us. That's so dumb. Again, they could have dismissed it altogether, and they would have missed out on this great catch. I think oftentimes we miss out on, on so many things because we fail to just take that step of faith. We fail to trust God at His Word. We dismiss it, we reject it, we deny it, we, we think, no, oh, that can't be the Lord. And we fail to see. God has, but let me encourage you this coming year. Be those that are taking those steps of faith. And you might have a prompt in your heart at one point to talk to somebody, to share your faith with somebody, to to do an act of service in some way. Take that step of faith and do it. And see how the Lord might bless it and reward you. What's the worst that can happen? I'll tell you though, when we fail to do it, there's a whole lot that you might miss out on. And these guys may have missed out on on an abundant, fruitful catch, but they acted on it. And here we see they pull in this multitude of fish that they weren't even able to draw the net into the boat. And there's a number of them in the boat. That's pretty huge. And look at verse 7. therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, speaking of himself, always referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, because he began to know the great love of Jesus so intimately and personally. And he said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits dragging the net with fish. So suddenly when this act happened and they see the nets filling with fish, John suddenly recognizes It's the Lord. Now, what caused him to see that? Was it this miraculous event that uh, that transpired that he realizes, oh, this can only be the Lord? Perhaps there's a reminder of what happened early on in their ministry. Because there's another situation that happened very much like this in Luke chapter 5. In fact, let's look at that real quick here. Because in Luke 5, early on in Jesus' ministry, as he's calling disciples and ministering with them, It tells us this, that Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Sound familiar? Right? Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking So they signaled to their partners in the other boat To come and help them And they came and filled both the boats So that they began to sink And when Simon Peter saw it He fell down at Jesus' knees Saying, depart from me For I am a sinful man, O Lord Now that's incredible A very similar scene unfolds To where John recognizes This has got to be of the Lord There's no way that we're going to put the net down the right side of the boat And have this multitude of fish in the nets now Apart from the Lord that's a great lesson for us, isn't it? That we can do nothing apart from the Lord. Here they were trying, going in their own strength, going on their own, on their own accord in a sense, and it coming to nothing. But when Jesus comes in the picture, man, things change. And notice what else is different here. In Luke chapter 5, when suddenly they catch this great multitude of fish after toiling all night without catching anything, Peter responds by falling at the knees of Jesus saying, depart from me. For I'm a sinful man. Peter says early on in the ministry, depart from me. But now afterwards, after Peter has spent time with Jesus and, and been in fellowship with Jesus, what does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat. He's saying, I got to get to Jesus. It's no longer depart from me, Jesus, but Jesus, where you are, I want to be to the point where he's ready to abandon all things. And he just leaps out of the boat and he swims for shore. So he get there even quicker than the boat does. Right? It's like Forrest Gump jumping off the boat to see, you know, Lieutenant Dan, right? And the boat just goes crashing the dog. He says, like, I don't care what goes on with this stuff. I just want to see Lieutenant Dan. That's kind of Peter right now. He's like, I want to see Jesus. And I want to get there as fast as I can. I want to be with Jesus. And, and, and notice, I mean, Peter hasn't been in a perfect place. It wasn't too long ago that he denied the Lord, and we'll talk about that a little bit more coming up here, where he denied the Lord. But Peter knew... That Jesus held that place of forgiveness and grace. He's come to know he doesn't need to hide from the Lord. He needs to be with the Lord. Peter's still in a a sinful state in the sense that he's still battling with the flesh and he's going to make mistakes, but he recognizes, man, there's grace with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. Jesus. Oh, I pray that we are pressing in with Jesus. That we're not allowing sin or, or past mistakes to keep us from Jesus, but rather we're saying, Jesus, I want to be with you because it's in you that I have hope. It's in you that I have forgiveness. It's in you that I find life ultimately. So, Jesus, I just want to be close to you. I don't want to let anything get in the way and keep me from what you have for me, Jesus. May we be pressing in all the more. So, we see the other disciples get there and then in verse 9, we look at now this second part that we're going to see, Jesus refreshing the disciples. It says in verse 9, Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. That's pretty amazing. Remember this net? They couldn't haul it in the boat. All the disciples, or, or the number of the disciples that were there. But now Jesus says, go get the net. And Peter himself goes and drags that net ashore. Right? Peter's not going, Lord, there's too many. I can't do it. He goes and he does it. Because the Lord's called him to do that. Maybe the Lord's called you to do something where you think, I can't do that. But with the Lord's calling comes his enabling. Right? He, he, will, he will equip you and strengthen you for every task that he has for you. Go in the Lord's strength and see what might be done. Peter hauls this net up. And, and here we see this wonderful picture now here as Jesus is preparing a breakfast for them. I love that. Jesus is right there and he just wants to minister to the disciples. He wants to strengthen them, feed them. He wants to refresh them. And it's, they've been out all night, right? They've got nothing, right? This has been a long night and they, they need to be refreshed. Sometimes, Failure has a a purpose because it reminds us of how much we need Jesus and how much we need to be dependent on Jesus. Bill Gates once said that that success is a lousy teacher because it makes smart people think that they can't lose. And it's very true. Sometimes when we just continue on in success after success, we think, man, I can do no wrong. Sometimes the Lord has to kind of knock us down a notch or two to help us realize, man, we can do nothing apart from, that's what Jesus said in John 15, 5 already. That great upper room discourse, when Jesus was laying on all these great practical truths for his disciples, man, without me, you can do nothing. You need to just be abiding in me. How we need to learn that lesson of just abiding in Jesus, being, being dependent on Jesus. Sometimes failures come to remind us, Man, I am going to fall short when I try things or do things relying upon myself, and my effort, my energy, my strength. I can do nothing without him. So the Lord comes and he reminds them, man, I'm here to be with you, to help you, to refresh you, to strengthen you. And then in verse 11, it says, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land We read that already, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast, Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Verse 13, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them. And likewise, the fish, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, John makes mention to say there were 153 fish there. Now, many people have kind of debated and theorized over why is that significant? It's got to be, it's, it's there in the Bible. John recorded 153, so it must be significant for some point. Some have said, well, there was 153 species of fish known at that time, so it kind of uh, encompasses all of humanity. Others say there's 153 languages at the time. So again, uh, that picture of kind of encompassing the, the whole world where Jesus desires to minister to, we don't know. what. All we know is there was 153 fish, and that's good enough for me, all right? It means there was more than what, 153 more than what they caught that night themselves, right? That's, that's all we need to know here. But what a picture this would have been. Jesus sitting here serving the disciples, right? He's prepared breakfast. He's feeding and refreshing these guys. But Jesus isn't just interested in feeding and refreshing them. He wants to see Peter specifically reinstated as an apostle and true devotee of Jesus. Now, Jesus had already met with Peter individually. It tells us that in Luke chapter 24 and 1 Corinthians 15, where it says that Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to Peter and then to the disciples. So there was an encounter that Jesus had with Peter privately. No doubt to come and reveal. I mean, think about what Peter's been going through. Well, that, that time that Jesus was crucified before his resurrection, he just denied Jesus And Peter's been in agony, I'm sure. Jesus comes to meet with him privately to, I believe, reveal the forgiveness and grace that the Lord has. But now he desires to do a work publicly. As Peter denied Jesus publicly, Jesus wants to restore Peter publicly here now. And that's the scene that we see unfolding here. And it's an interesting scene. Because what do they see as they pull up to the shore? Jesus has a fire prepared, a fire of coals. There's only two times in the, in the New Testament that a fire of coals is mentioned in the Bible. It's here on the shore of Galilee with Jesus. And it's there at the high priest's house where Peter denied Jesus as he warmed himself by the fire. The only two places that this is mentioned. So think about this here. Jesus, in a sense, is recreating this scene for Peter. You know how these things, these, these memories, these experiences we have, get planted in our memory. No doubt, wherever Peter went, I mean, anytime he's by a fire, he's probably thinking, Oh my goodness, that's the place that I denied Jesus. But now Jesus has prepared a fire to, to change the narrative. To, to change Peter's memory, of this to say, Peter, it's not by fire that I want you to remember denying me. It's here by a fire that I want you to remember how I brought forgiveness and love, and I'm restoring you to what I have for you to do. Think about this past year in your life. Maybe there's been moments that have been these, these memories of, uh, of difficulty and hardship. But no one understand that Jesus wants to come in and change those things around. To say, I don't want these things to define you any longer, to, to haunt you, to burden you down. I want to come in and I want to change that around to bring good out of that. To say, it doesn't have to be this way any longer. I want to turn things around. To where that might have been a, a burning time in your life. Where that was a bad memory. I want to bring something good out of that. I want you to see that. I can do all things anew in your life, that these things don't have to define you. So essentially, Jesus recreates the scene of, great, of Peter's greatest setback to be the same scene now of Peter's confident comeback. It's so good. That's what Jesus would love to do in your life. If we bring him in, if we allow him in to say, Jesus, yeah, man, I've, I failed miserably here. I've made some mistakes here. But I don't want those things to define me any longer. I want you to come in and do that work of refreshing and to see that reset take place in my life personally. Isn't that great to know that whatever may have been a place of failure for you, Jesus wants to turn around and remind you that it doesn't need to define you any longer as he brings forgiveness, hope, and he brings that fresh start for you. And so Jesus now moves on to Reinstate Peter here Look at what we see unfolding here in verse 15 So when they had eaten breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon, son of Jonah Do you love me more than these? And he said to him Yes, Lord You know that I love you And he said to him Feed my lambs He said to him again a second time Simon, son of Jonah Do you love me? And he said to him Yes, Lord You know that I love you He said to him Tend my sheep Let me just stop right there Now This is wonderful, because here Jesus is looking to really, you know, this key issue and inquiry of Jesus to Peter revolves around Peter's love for him. Because not too long earlier, I mean, Peter had denied the Lord. Forsaken the Lord. He loved his life more than he loved Jesus' life. That's why anybody would deny the Lord. Because they love love their life more than they love Jesus' life. So Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, what does he mean by? What was he referring to by these? It could be that he was looking at the other disciples saying, Peter, do you love me more than these guys love me? It could be that Jesus was saying, do you love me more than you love these guys? Or it could be that Jesus was referring to those things that were around Peter. They've just been out on the lake in the boat, fishing. The nets are there on the ground. This is Peter's former occupation. This is what Peter's life has been built around, centered around for much of his life. It could be that Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these things? In other words, are you willing to forsake all of this that has once defined your life? Are you willing to give it all up for me? Is your love for me greater than these things? I believe that's what Jesus was most likely referring to. It could be any of those three. But I believe Peter had to come to grips with the fact that is he willing to give up all those things that have once defined his life? Is his love for Jesus greater than everything else that has once been a part of his life? Is he willing to forsake all to follow Jesus? Because it's very easy to make that claim to follow the Lord, but then begin to fall back to those things. To begin to look back, as we talked about earlier already. Jesus said in Luke 9, verse 62, that no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Are, are you willing and ready to go all the way with Jesus say, Lord, I am on track with you and I'm not looking back. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to forsake everything to follow you because my love for you is far greater than any of these things. So, Jesus asked, do you love me? And and there's an interesting dialogue taking place that only really gets recognized in in the depth of it in the Greek, because the Greek had all these different words for love, you know, Uh, and and we just have the, the one word love in our English language, which really gets used for everything, and it gets kind of, you know, lacking meanings sometimes. We can say, I love my wife, I love my, my husband, we love a good bowl of ice cream. Like that same word gets used for everything. That And, and yet it doesn't, they're not comparable, right? I, I love my wife a whole lot more than I love a bowl of ice cream. Yeah. Even if it's, and I love bubble gum, cotton candy, I like those weird ice creams and they're good. But But my wife is better than any of that. But it's the same word, love. So it lacks meaning sometimes. But in the Greek, there's these different words for love. And so what Jesus says here, essentially, as Jesus comes and he talks to Peter, calls him out, do you love me? Jesus uses the Greek word agapeo. Peter, do you agapeo me? Which is that word for the, the fullest, truest kind of love. It's a selfless, unconditional love. It's the love that is most widely used when God is speaking of his love for us that God so agapeo the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the highest form of love, selfless love. Jesus says, Peter, do you agapeo me? And yet Peter responds, he says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Phileo is an affectionate term. It's like a brotherly kind of love. It's a friendly type. Somebody says, Lord, you know I love you. Now, I'm not questioning Peter's love. This is not about saying, oh, Peter didn't have a full love for Jesus. I think what we're seeing here is Peter going, man, I, I don't want to boast in myself or have overconfidence in myself any longer, because that's what's marked Peter's life most of his life, hasn't it? This guy's been brash. This guy's been impulsive. This guy's been overconfident. In fact, when Jesus was telling his disciples in that upper room discourse that some are going to betray him. Peter says, if all of these guys betray you or deny you, I will never do it. Remember Peter saying that? Who's the one to deny Jesus? Peter. Peter was overconfident himself. I think Peter at this point is, is, is in a good sense walking in humility saying, Lord, man, I love you. And, and, and I want to get to that selfless, unconditional love. But, but right now, Lord, I, I, I just want you to know I love you. It's an affectionate kind of love. And this is where he's at. So Jesus continues to speak with him. And and so it's not, this isn't some kind of, you know, cruel test that Jesus is is giving Peter. I, I believe Jesus is simply letting Peter know too that he's got room to grow, right? That he needs to remain humble and know that he hasn't arrived yet. That he can't be confident self. himself. He's, he's got much room to grow as all of us do. And so a good way to grow is to be active and serve, isn't it? So what does Jesus say? Peter? He doesn't say, what Peter? You only on me? No, he's not saying that. He's saying, hey, great. Then feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Feed the little ones. Begin to care for those around you. Start with the small things, Peter. Don't get caught up in the big things. Be faithful in little things, right? Feed my lambs. Jesus asks him again, do you in me? Peter responds again, Lord, yeah, you know, I phileo you. So then he says, tend my sheep. There's more than just feeding the lambs. There's tending the sheep. There's caring for, coming alongside. It's an act of shepherding and caring. We know from chapter 10... That Jesus' and sheep are those who believe in him. And you see, when we place our faith in Jesus, we become an active part of this community of faith. That's what we see happening here today. To where we all, now, as followers of Jesus, have an active role of coming alongside and tending the sheep. That's kind of what a pastor ultimately means, is shepherd. But this is not just the role of the shepherd. The shepherd. This is a role that we all, as the family of God, get to have as we come alongside and care for one another and tend to the sheep. And I love to see that happening within the body of Christ here. And, I, and I'm so thankful for the many that come alongside and serve and they take care of one another, calling people up, checking in how they're doing, maybe taking meals to them when needed. And, and I love to see that happening. And Jesus is calling us all to be doing that. Do you love Jesus? You see, when we love Jesus, a way that's going to show is that we get our eyes off of ourselves and we begin to bless other people. We become less inward and we become more outward. See, we never have a problem loving ourselves, right? That becomes very natural. Loving ourselves is something that I mean, we we don't have to be told to do. But the Bible says To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. We're all called to begin to show that love. And that stems from having a greater love for Jesus. A greater love for Jesus than ourselves. Jesus is calling Peter to do just that. And I believe he's calling all of us to take on that role of serving and blessing one another. But now this third time... Jesus doesn't say, Peter, do you agapeo me? Jesus now says, Peter, do you phileo me? And at that, Peter was grieved, it says. Look, look at that, I don't, I don't know if we've read that far. Verse. Um, let's go verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter was grieved whether that was because Jesus kind of had to come down to Peter's level I, again I don't believe this was harsh I think Jesus is just saying Peter are you really willing to be able to say you, you love me that you have that affection for me that you're willing to live for me it could be that Peter was grieved because now again that's that reminder as Jesus asked him three times it's a reminder of that threefold denial that Peter made of Jesus Three times. But you see, here's Jesus, asking him three times publicly. As Peter denied Jesus publicly three times, Jesus is using this to say, Peter, I'm not done with you. I've still got work for you. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. And now he says for him to feed my sheep. Jesus is saying, Peter, I've got work for you to do still. I want to reinstate you to that place of, uh, uh, of serving and, and, and being a leader. And there was great work for Peter to do still. And we're going to see it happen in the, in the book of Acts where Peter becomes a prominent leader in the early church. And great things begin to change as he becomes strengthened and filled in and through the Holy Spirit. But what a great reminder for us that Jesus is not done with any of us. You may have had some missteps this past year. You may have made some mistakes. Peter made a huge misstep and mistake. But Jesus comes to him to say, Hey Peter, there's still work to be done. Do you love me? Let's renew that love for Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to be committed to you. I want to renew my commitment to you. I want to say, Jesus, I'm yours. And I want you to use me and work through me. And Jesus will do that. He doesn't put you on the shelf and say, Well, I've got I to test you. I'm going to put you on a little you know, trial period right now. He says, no. Do you love me? All right. Then get busy and serve. Get busy and be active. Get your eyes off of yourself and on other people. And serve and be faithful. Jesus wants to pick you up, dust you off, and reinstate you to a position of serving Him and enjoying life in Him. Jesus doesn't call us to serve, to just put us to work and make us busy. He says, man, this is where you're going to really enjoy Life with Jesus, living in in his will and in his purposes, now Jesus knows Peter is ready to receive a bit more truth, although i 'm sure Peter could have done without this next section here. Jesus says in verse eighteen, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death you would glorify God. And when he'd spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So here's Jesus re- revealing to Peter, there's going to come a day. You, you've had a good. you been going to do what you want, but there's going to come a day when they're going to come for you. And tradition tells us that some 30 years after this, Peter was, was arrested and he was sentenced to be crucified. But Peter at this point now saying... Man, I'm not worthy to die the same death that my Savior, my Lord died. Peter requested to be crucified upside down. But no doubt, as Jesus said, he'd have his arms stretched out and he would die. But, notice this. Jesus says, this is the way that he would glorify God. Signifying by what death he would glorify God. Do you realize that God is glorified even in the place of death? What do you mean by that? What does Jesus call us to do? If anyone desires to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus has called each and every one of us to die to self. Peter had to learn this lesson. Are you willing to give up all these? Do you love me more than these? Are you willing to die to self? Because it's in the place that we die to self that Jesus becomes more glorified in and through us. And when Jesus is more glorified in us, now we begin to experience more and more joy. Because that's what we're created to do. To glorify God. The more that Jesus is glorified in you, the greater your joy becomes. How is Jesus glorified in you? Die to self. Let the love of Jesus be greater than any other love that you have. And then, lastly, we look at Jesus refocusing Peter. Hey, Peter's still Peter, right? Right? He's still battling and working through things. So what does Peter do? Well, right in line with kind of Peter's character, it says in verse 20, then Peter turning around saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So John's just referring to himself. This is me. This is who Peter is looking at. And so Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So what does Peter do? I think he does what many of us would have done. Lord, you're telling me about my death? Why don't you tell these guys about their death too? Tell them how they're going to die. Please, what about them? Why am I being singled out here? Let's spread the love a little bit here. Tell John about the boiling boiling pot of oil he's going to be put in. You know, Now, this is not exciting stuff for Peter to have to deal with. And what oftentimes we want to do is we want to kind of, you know, deflect or think about other people. Well, what about them? Sometimes we like to compare ourselves to other people. Maybe you're reading something in the Word and suddenly conviction sets in. Like, oh man. But what do we like to do sometimes? Oh, at least I'm not as bad as that person over there. Man, Lord, you this is a good verse for that person. I better share that with the Lord. Say, no, no, this is for you. You just take that. Don't worry about that person. We we oftentimes want to deflect and, and compare. Oftentimes well, we don't sometimes maybe we wonder, how come I'm the only person going through this? How come that person always seems to have it so good? Ever ever feel like that? Ever think, Lord, I've been faithful to you. How come I can't seem to catch a break here and it seems like everybody else is just rolling along life merrily? See, when hardships and trials come, we need to have a right perspective on them. They're not meant to hurt us or punish us. They're meant to strengthen us. They're meant to draw us closer to God and they're meant to ultimately bring greater glory to God. So what does Jesus say to Peter in response? He says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that person. Don't be viewing what's happening with those around you as though there should be some grand equality being measured out. You just follow me, Jesus says. Be focused on what you need to do to be closer to Jesus. And that's not what you need to do in some morality works-based effort. I'm simply talking about just abiding in Jesus. See, what happens and what oftentimes gets in the way of us just coming to Jesus is, is we begin to question His love for us based on what is happening to other people. Lord, that person seems to be getting all the breaks and I don't. Do you really love me? Do you love them more? Jesus is simply saying, Peter, don't worry about that person. You follow me. You just be abiding in me. Just be enjoying the love that I've already demonstrated to you. Again, how we need to let the Lord take care of those other things that we oftentimes want to Start to get our handprints on and start to get focused on and meddle into. So let the Lord take care of those things. For us, just follow him. Just be faithful and abiding in him and learning and growing in him. May this be a year where we don't get sidetracked by looking at what's going on with others, whether good or bad. We're called to simply stay on track with where Jesus is at. Leave that other stuff to him. He's got it under control. And John had to clear up kind of a a misunderstanding that many people had based on what Jesus said to Peter. Because now people have started to hear this and think, so John's going to stay alive until Jesus comes back? They're thinking, oh man, this is this is incredible. John's not going to die. And this began to be kind of a, a misunderstanding then rumor that began to circulate. So John writes this to kind of clear up. That's not what Jesus meant. He says there... In verse 23, then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will, that he remain till I come, what is that to you? It's all Jesus meant. If I want to keep him around, Peter, does that make any difference to you? Does that change how you're going to live for me? What Jesus does with other people, is that going to change how you live for Jesus? That's what Jesus is asking Peter. What is that to you? If I do that with this person, What is that to you? You simply follow me. So John says in verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true and there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. Amen. Hey, that's exciting, isn't it? John takes us through Many great miracles. The, the whole of the gospels take us through many miracles that Jesus did. But yet John says, hey guys, we're just scratching the surface when it comes to all that Jesus is able to do. Now we're just, we're just getting a glimpse of the greatness of God. Do you recognize that today? Maybe you've experienced times where you've limited God. And you thought, man, God can't help me in this situation God, God can't, can't work in, in my life over this situation. God can't, can't do that. You know, the word says that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask. John says, guys, what I've written here has been for a purpose. But I've had to refine so many things because, man, I could have written so much that even the whole world couldn't contain all the books that could be written about Jesus. It's the same as we go through the word of God. Man, we're just scratching the surface. And, and as you get into the word of God, just keep digging in. Just, I, I love the proverbs that speak about like mining for silver and gold and the treasure that we have. Because that's what it takes sometimes, just mining and just keep digging in. Digging and digging, because the more that you dig, the more that you find. And you begin to realize, oh man, there is so much to discover about the greatness of God. That we could spend and we will spend all of eternity, I believe, just learning and growing and being amazed at the wonders of God. Don't, don't limit God in your life. Don't underestimate what, what God can do. Because we're just scratching the surface when it comes to what we've seen God do. Let's expect great things this coming year. Let's expect God to move mightily. Let's expect Him to do new and, and great things in our lives and in this church. Let's trust the Lord for these things. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to just close our service with a a time of worship and just response as we wait on the Lord. But here's some things that we can just again take to heart that this chapter I believe reveals for us. First of all, let me put that slide back up here. If we can put that slide back up. Let's see. First of all, Jesus desires us to be with him and be refreshed by him. So spend time with him daily. That's what Jesus comes to the disciples to be with them. Jesus longs to be with you. Spend time with them. Enjoy that fellowship with the Lord. Secondly, don't let past mistakes keep you down. Jesus is full of grace and forgiveness and wants to see us restored in him through repentance. Don't let those past mistakes define you. Jesus has something greater for you. And thirdly, live your life sold out for Jesus. Don't let other things or other people distract you from following him faithfully because you'll be blessed as you do. So Lord, we thank you for your word here today. We thank you for this reminder, Lord, that God, here we are in a new year and Lord, you are not done with us yet. God, you got great things in store. And no matter what we've experienced in the past, Lord, those things don't need to hold us down or hold us back any longer. I pray that we would see the blessing, Lord, of just coming to you and being restored, being strengthened, being refocused, refreshed. Lord, I pray that you do that in my brothers' and my sisters' lives here today. As you continue to lead us and work in us and through us, God, would we live for your glory? God, may our love for you just increase and grow and be greater than any other thing, Lord. And may that love be seen and demonstrated by how we just get active in serving you and blessing one another. So God, strengthen us, lead us in those things. Fill us with your spirit fresh and anew today. We ask in your name. Amen.